All right, let's do this. Are we good, sound-wise? Everything's good? Yeah. Truby, are you good? It was a terrible Truby impression. It was terrible. It was awful. so bad. But Truby is sleeping, so I just answered for him. I'm, I'm officially Truby's spokesperson. You're going to be Truby's uh, interpreter. That's fair. It's Friday, July the 12th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Derrick, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Undiplomatic Correspondent, and with me today are Molly Quell, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Phonological Geographer, and Paul Peters, Master's Student in Civil Engineering and Spotted Transpotter. I thought Molly was the Undiplomatic Correspondent. I have so we many usually questions. Are. Yeah. I, I, I have so <laughs> many questions. Uh, Paul. Yeah. I heard that you spotted a measles-infected tram in the Ark. <laughs> I think I we're going to start there. <laughs> I spotted an anti-vax uh, tram yeah. In, yeah. Uh, in The Hague. Yeah, I was walking around in The Hague yesterday or the day before that, and I saw this, you know, these trams in The Hague, they all of yeah, a sudden they had all these on, yeah. weird adverts on it. Yeah. And the, this tram was in, was complete, was white and completely covered with red spots. Yeah, it looked like I had a terrible rash. Yeah. Like it had been uh, attacked by Icon Processi Grips. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. what, um, what was it advertising? I, I, I missed that, actually, but I thought uh, I'd made a joke that um, the, uh, the next tram was lobby. going to be a red one, or yeah. a green one, and the other one will be a yellow one. It was a Tour de France reference. Uh, ah, okay. okay. That's not as funny as an ERK unvaccinated no, child No, no, yeah, uh, it, it was Gordon's joke, yeah. I, have to, I have to say. His <laughs> joke was much uh, much yeah. funnier than mine. But the anti-vaxxers are running the trams. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Gordon, you're undiplomatic this week as opposed yeah. to all the weeks when you are diplomatic <laughs> i'm impeccably di- diplomatic but, uh, <laughs> it's in the pedigree now i've just been it's been a bit um, uh, disconcerting for me because to hear my own surname spoken so many times on the news it's That's a very true. rare surname and all of a sudden somebody else who has my surname has been very yeah. prominent news because he, he's picked a fight well he hasn't picked a fight donald trump has picked a fight with him yes uh, so kim darach the uk ambassador to the usa uh, until they find somebody else yeah uh, who, who boris johnson is going to handpick uh, yeah of course <laughs> <laughs> on the instructions of Donald Trump. Wasn't basically. he handpicked by Boris Johnson when he was foreign minister? Uh, he might well have been appointed when Boris was that foreign minister. Yes, that explains everything. That would explain everything. an awful lot. Yeah. But no, but he, he did, also, he did it's what... It's been very disconcerting for me too because I keep seeing your name on Twitter and I'm know, like, it's what weird. has Gordon done now? Yeah, me too. I keep seeing my surname twi- uh, trending on Twitter and I think, what's going on? This is really weird. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a bit odd. I agree. So, um, but yeah, so... But but from, all... from, from what I've heard, uh, you talking about Donald Trump, you <laughs> might as well easily be the British uh, ambassador to the uh, to the US. That's true. Yeah, well, I have to say, we, 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 we dare us when we've got something to say. We, we don't, we don't mean so words you know it's kind of if a, you just yeah. retweeted a few like QAnon memes you could yeah. very well be the next <laughs> ambassador like i think yeah. that's basically how trump picks them basically um yeah and uh, molly you've, you've been having fun uh, speculating about uh, where we might hold eurovision uh, next year which is a news story we're covering later our boss does not know this yet but i am definitely working on a piece for dutch news speculating about where the eurovision is going to be held and yeah. i have some excellent suggestions yeah would you like to say them out loud no yeah. because you cannot pronounce the names of any of these places <laughs> that's the amusing part yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, Oost, uh, Oost the, uh, is definitely on the list for sure yeah uh, um, the, uh, i think i think uh, that, that was our front runner because it's a place that's even the Dutch don't pronounce Yeah, properly. even the Dutch can't pronounce yeah, properly. They cut out the first G because otherwise it's just... It's you, just too much. You choke to death. What yeah. about Horkum? 
Yeah, also perhaps there. That that could also be there. The place with the really long name that I'm not even going to try to remember. <laughs> Hardingsfeld, Giesendam. Is Yeah, some, maybe. Mm, or maybe, uh, I think definitely one of the islands is going to be on there. Like Fleetland, I think, maybe. Mm, I think Schiermarnkoog. Like. Oh, yes, Schiermarnkoog. Yeah. That's even a better path. one. Yeah, so path, yeah. I'm working on A lot on of this. options. There's yeah, so yeah, many options. options. Yeah, Vodingveen. Os. Uh, I think Os. Os, oh, Os. Os. yeah. Is, uh, is also a good choice. Yeah. So we're going to... Uh, I'm out of, probably. Because no. it's just such a terrible <laughs> place. Like, yeah, or well, Spikenissa. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Zutamir, for Flat. sure. I mean, any opportunity south I get. South to London. I get yeah. south to London. <laughs> no, that would be a lovely place to hold. Uh, anyway, so I'm going to... Uh, I've been uh, debating yeah. what I'm going to include it's been on ongoing this list. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. These places aren't actually that much worse than the actual contenders. No, the actual contenders are terrible. That's how we got on the subject <laughs> in the first place. I mean, Arnhem is an actual contention, which is just an embarrassment to everyone, yeah. including yeah. Arnhem, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh. Anyway, uh, given all, all the OPEF that's been around Eurovision, what other OPEF has caught your eye this week, Paul? Justice Minister Fert Grapperhaus, our favourite uh, Bond villain lookalike, yes. has suggested in an interview with the Telegraaf there should be fewer musical festivals in order to reduce drug crime. Oh. Okay. okay. Each year there are 1,100 festivals uh, organized in the Netherlands and the minister says it is impossible to check every visitor for cocaine or ecstasy or other illegal drugs. Mm. And if the number of festivals is reduced, the police will have the manpower to enforce the law, uh, or at least that's the minister's reasoning. Mm -hmm. How did uh, festival organizations respond, Paul? Um, well, they, uh, they, they, they laughed at the idea, basically. <laughs> uh, they uh, basically all said it's ridiculous to put the fault uh, of drug crime at music festivals. And uh, they suggest that the minister should focus on the source, namely drug labs mm. and I mean, drug criminals. Yeah. I hate it. I hate to take this side in any argument, but it sounds like the music festivals are like making a reasonably good <laughs> argument here. Exactly. Well, uh, a spokesperson to the just for the, the spokesperson for the justice ministry said the cabinet will not present a bill to maximize the number of festivals allowed a year. So, right. so that's a release. This is just but, yeah. House but this, talking. So this, this was just Grapperhaus talking, but it was an interview um, with Grapperhaus about his plans to reduce drug crime, mm. and he had some pretty sensible plans, but you know. As it goes in an interview, he says something like this, and then yeah. this becomes the headline. So everybody up. thinks that that's what, what he basically he said, yeah. or what yeah. he wants. But he had some ideas. One of them is uh, higher punishment for threatening mayors and aldermen. That I think I agree with. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that as well. Uh, drug criminals uh, should pay for dismantling drug labs. Also that's smart. Uh, yeah. That's, for, for reasons that are very unclear to me, that's not possible yet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it costs the government 6 million euros a year to dismantle these drug labs. I mean, if you compare that to the amount of money that is made in drug crime, yeah. Yeah. it's nothing, but still. Yeah. And it's it only is. the tip of the iceberg as well. I mean, the, the, the number that they actually clear up is, 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 far, is only a small proportion of the number that there are. Exactly, but yeah. it is a start. Yeah. Uh, and there also will be a blacklist of chemicals used specifically in drug production. How is that not already in mm. place? I don't know, but there are some sort of chemicals that, that are known that, that they are only used in drug production. So yeah. if you yeah. buy them in large quantities or whatever, then... Uh, an alarm somewhere will go off, and yeah. then you have a better indication uh, uh, of of these of these criminals. And uh, th they're going to make uh, unauthorized access to harbor and airport areas illegal. Again, you assumed that that was already uh, well. You need case, an access yeah. card to to go there. But right. if you are caught with with a with a fake one or mm -hmm. with nothing at all, they just kick you out. It's not a crime. Than, yeah. It's not a crime. So yeah. they will make it a crime. Yeah. Uh, that seems a bit of a sort of a cosmetic measure, anyway, doesn't it? Because most of these drug um, gangs have people who actually work, work for on the 
inside. work, work on, uh, on yeah. the inside to, to get their things through. So I don't see how that's going to make any difference. Exactly, but yeah. uh, from what I understand, uh, uh, d- these people usually do their illegal activities outside their regular job shifts. So yeah. if they are um, uh, at the airports, not on a shift or yeah. at, at yeah. some other point of time, then... You know, they are illegal as well. So yeah. I suspect it won't be hard for the drug gangs to find a workaround for this. It'll probably just increase the amount they have to bribe the uh, the, doc, uh, well, the customer staff. Well, they will be making more money then. So good, yeah. for the low, yeah, good for the low, yeah, good for the... Yeah, I mean, but I think that there is a, an argument to be made that even if this isn't going... Even if all this is going to do is increase the cost of doing business, the more expensive you make it for drugs mm. criminals to operate, the more the less that they're going to do because it becomes, I think, well, less no, profitable. It, because they make so much money out of it that that's, they can absorb that, I think. Yeah, but I mean, I think that easily. if you... It, this, it seems to me that this is a series of a package of, of things that like, are just kind of poking at the bear from all directions and that, mm. like, you know, other than the limiting music festivals thing, which is clearly dumb. It's nonsense, yeah. Um, you know, the rest seem like it's just trying to increase the cost of doing business and then you hope that they go do business somewhere else. They all go to Belgium and it could be Belgium's problem <laughs> instead. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think you, you, you make an excellent point. If you see how much money there's being made in this drug uh, criminal world, uh, the, 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 a court case started this week um, against a, a mob, the, the Moko Mafia, as yeah. we mm. call it, and they, yeah. they were dealing in cocaine, if, I, if I'm correct. And if you see how much... I mean, it's about 100 million euros mm. they make a year. Yeah. I mean, it's a huge you, amount. Yeah. It's a huge amount. Yeah. If you compare it to the 6 million euros of drug uh, crimes, uh, drug labs that are being dismantled, it's nothing. But yeah... yeah I mean, it's a start. It's, it's, yeah. What else can you do? It shows yeah. they're actually yeah, they're, they're taking yeah, um, a serious steps to try and uh, crack crack down. Yeah, um, and and these the, the 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 things we ju- I just listed, uh, uh, we were both we were all very surprised that mm. it's not illegal yeah. yet for some yeah. of these points. So yeah, it's 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 it seems like an open door, but yeah, at yeah. least they are thinking about they're what, what start. can be done and yeah. making a start. So yeah, we'll right. see. This article, b- by the way, specifically said that um, it's Fairtrapperhaus hobby. To, uh, <laughs> to take drugs, drug crimes, yeah. oh, to, drug fight, crime. them, to yeah. fight them. Yeah. I thought that was uh, very funny. That right, he, fight drug criminals yeah, yeah, in his spare time yeah. that he <laughs> puts on. Like, I'd, I'd love to see a <laughs> Fred Copperhouse bat signal actually in, in the skies above the hay. That that's, would be. That's just what would please <laughs> listeners write in and tell us what the Fred Copperhouse bat signal would look like? <laughs> and if anybody makes a drawing, I will post it on the Dutch News Instagram page. So mm. yeah, there's a challenge for the summer. There you go. So uh, this is the last episode before our summer break. Yeah, we're taking some time off. We, our, we deserve it. We deserve it. We totally very much. deserve it. But if you are a Patreon uh, donor. Yes, Patreon, subscriber. Yes. Subscriber, yeah. Subscriber. Then, if you give us money. If you yeah. give us money, then uh, we have a special treat for you. We are going to record a, a special episode for you, which will be released next week. And uh, especially for you. And uh, and only for you. And yes, it's for it's you. only going out to the Patreon yeah. subscribers. Yes. So if you want to get... will ever hear it. Yeah, if yeah. you want to get access to the special episode, you yeah. have to... Uh, give us some money. Give us some money. Yeah. That's how it works. Yeah. It involves uh, flashcards mm-hmm. and Paul mocking Gordon and I, possibly to the point of tears. Yeah, basically, <laughs> it's Paul mocking our ignorance. Yeah. Okay. I really like this episode. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I totally understand why this is a selling point for... Like anyone who follows me on Twitter, that that, yeah. that definitely seems like yeah. the content that they it will, want. It will also get you through your Inburgering exam. There you are. Yeah, so, it would definitely yeah. also help with the Inburgering It will be the exam. alternative Inburgering exam. Yes. It could so, be. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I agree with yeah. that. Yeah. So, so anyone who's taking the, the Inburgering test, uh, sign up for Patreon and you can listen to our special podcast, uh, which will tell you all you need to know. Yeah, so if you're going to give us money, you can go to patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl yes. and uh, do it there. You can also just like put random cash through my mailbox and I won't tell the guys about it. That's fine. <laughs> no, people don't know where you live. 
People know where I live. Uh, I'm very famous. In the news this week, we'll tell you why people in Amsterdam were making a big noise about a Holocaust memorial, why noisy children caused uproar in Nijmegen, and why New Year celebrations will be a little less noisy, but no one's really happy about it. I've seen you who have done a good job with the, uh, yeah, the running I've theme really there. Put some work yeah. into that. Yeah, yeah. You did. Uh, in our discussion, we'll ask how the coalition government's faring as it reaches the midway point of its term. A court in Amsterdam has found that the municipality correctly weighed the importance of the Monument of Names against complaints of residents after a two-year legal battle. The monument is to be built by the Dutch Auschwitz Comité and has been designed by internationally renowned artist Daniel Liebeskind. It features four structures with the names of all Jewish, Sinti, and Roma people deported from the Netherlands to Nazi death camps inscribed on the bricks. They spell out in memoriam in Hebrew. So why were the residents up against this memorial to Holocaust victims? Local residents had claimed the monument was too large for the site in the Weisberg's Plansoon Gardens, that the large number of visitors would cause a nuisance, and that they were not sufficiently consulted. Their lawyer, Aletta Blomberg, said residents felt that it was, quote, a private initiative for a national Holocaust monument in a public space, financed with 90% public money, but where there was no public consultation. Right, so, so they're basically angry that they weren't consulted uh, on the design. Is that as far as it goes? Or yeah. Or is there a bit more to it. It's. I think that they, they mostly seem that they were annoyed that they weren't sort of sufficiently consulted mm-hmm. in the beginning and that they were concerned that there was going to be a lot of tourists. Is there a specific area. reason for placing this monument there? Yeah, it's part. It's in the uh, the Jewish, the former Jewish district. Uh, so yeah. it's okay. it's it's well, a historically important yeah. place. Yeah. And yeah. it's a former Jewish district because all the Jews who lived there were deported, were deported. to death camps. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, it makes sense to have it there. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, when will it be completed? Uh, building is supposed to start in October. It would expect to be completed in two years. Oh, that's long. Yeah. yeah. But it's a pretty large it's, monument. It's a big mm. monument. It's a lot of names. Yeah. yeah. A, a lot, lot of, of names. A lot of bricks. Oh. A lot of bricks. <laughs> Coalition party, the Vever Day, has proposed to make it a crime to rescue migrants from drowning at sea, despite international treaties making it an obligation. The plan has a working majority in parliament, thanks to the support of cabinet partner the Christian Democrats, CDA, and the opposition parties, PVV, FVD and SGP, according to NRC. However, the two smaller coalition parties, D66 and ChristenUnie, are strongly opposed to the move. The issue has become a bone of contention in the Netherlands because of the Dutch-registered vessel Sea-Watch-3's role in rescuing migrants trying to cross the Mediterranean from North Africa. This week, the German captain of the Sea-Watch-3, Carola Rakete, was cleared by an Italian judge of assisting illegal migration. She was arrested after landing in Sicily with a group of rescued migrants, but the judge said she was fulfilling her duty to save human lives. The 1982 UN Convention on the Law of the Sea established a duty for vessels to offer assistance to people and other ships in distress on the high seas. However, VVD MP Jeroen van Wijngaarder said he wanted the law to ensure that rescue missions were not used to facilitate human trafficking. Above all, we want to put the dilemma that all parties are facing with how do you prevent a rescue ship becoming a ferry service for illegal migrants he said there was also a court case this week between the government and sea watch right paul yeah sea watch uh, told the court in the hague uh, they need at least a year to adjust the ship to newly imposed safety regulations by infrastructure minister cora van nieuwenhuizen Th- these rules were imposed for vessels involved in rescuing refugees from the seas the ministry demanded last year that sea watch had a week to comply with the new rules but a judge ruled that um, the rules were f- very unclear and gave the ministry uh, three months to clarify them uh, sea watch wants to be allowed to set sail while the adjustments 
are made because people will drown if they are stuck in port, uh, according to their lawyers. OK, so is this kind of the week, uh, because it's the last week of Parliament, that all the parties sort of chuck out their, their most ridiculous ideas and see how they fly? Yes. Is yeah. So crap a house with the, um, you know, festivals. With the festivals and uh, now the fifth day coming with this idea to just let migrants drown at sea? Yeah, 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 <laughs> I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even though Fred uh, Rappenhaus, uh, he basically accidentally said, uh, yeah. uh, came up with this idea, I think, but he was basically thinking <laughs> out loud while he was yeah. in, being interviewed. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, this is just a, this is just a ridiculous yeah. idea. And but this one died quite quickly, didn't it? Because uh, uh, it, it drowned. It drowned. It, drowned. <laughs> it did. Yeah. It, because uh, it's inhumane and because it's terrible. Inhumane and ridiculous. Even though I was just kind of uh, a bit startled to see that there was a, a majority supporting it in Parliament. Yeah. So it could yeah. have gone through if they'd really pushed for it. But yeah. the they didn't really push for it, which kind of uh, maybe reflects something we'll talk about later. That you know, the, the, there's the, the very strong discipline within the coalition. If, it, if it's clear that it's going to cause trouble, they, they drop it like a hot potato. Sports! Sports I'm news. so excited, Gordon. Tell yeah. us about what happened this week in sports. That, that happened on the, on, on, on the sports fields. Well, the Dutch women's football team proved they can do anything the men can do by losing the World Cup final. As exclusively predicted on this podcast, the USA proved too strong for the Leo Vinnen, uh, although <laughs> they did match the Americans for most of uh, a fairly uh, tightly contested first half. Then, after an hour, Stephanie van der Gracht raised a boot against Alex Morgan. The VAR panel stepped in. The US rewarded a penalty, and Megan Rapinoe scored. Or if you read Time magazine, she converted the penalty shot. Is that really what they wrote? That's really what they wrote. Oh my god. <laughs> this is why Americans shouldn't be allowed to write about soccer. <laughs> or, or play it. Hey, hey. <laughs> Rose Lavelle scored a second ten minutes later and the US would have added to the score, but for the heroics of Sarah van Veenendaal in the Dutch goal, she went home with the Golden Globes prize for the best goalkeeper as well as the silver medal. Well deserved. She well deserved, played yeah. very well. Yeah, someone joked on Twitter mm. that uh, maybe uh, uh, Donald Trump should put Sarah van Veenendaal on the <laughs> southern border because... Yes. Uh, no one will pass no her. No one will get past her, yeah, apart from Rose Laville. Yeah. And what were the reactions? Well, there was disappointment, but plenty of pride as well by the, by the lionesses. I've been disowned by my in-laws <laughs> and my entire street. There's not, no one uh, speaking to me. Uh, Coach Serena Wichmann said the team deserved credit for performing so well under pressure. Uh, I think it was their, probably their best performance of the World Cup. She added they continue to grow so they'd be able to beat the USA in the foreseeable future. Uh, von Feenendahl, the goalie, said there is disappointment, but we have had a fantastic tournament. This is the outcome and we're very proud. And the players also got a surprise visit after the game uh, in the dressing room from King Willem-Alexander. Not <laughs> like how Trump surprise visits people no, in dressing rooms, I not. hope. Okay, no. good. <laughs> he had his daughters with him. That's... Uh, the Princess Amalia... <laughs> I mean, Ariana. Trump's taking his daughters with him. <laughs> okay, That's again, not, but, uh, not making it any better, Gordon. Yeah, but uh, I think we can uh, reasonably assume that uh, it, it was a different kind of encounter. I hope so. Five and a half million people tuned in on television as well, so uh, women's football really seems to have broken through into the mainstream. Are men worth mentioning, Gordon? Uh, yeah, this, this week they actually are. Um, oh. so the Tour de France has begun. Oh, that, that, that whole festival of uh, um, Dutch people uh, staring wistfully at uh, television pictures of uh, uh, the French countryside. Yes. Um, <laughs> Um, Tom Dumoulin, who finished second... To be second. honest, that's the only fun part about the it is, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Tom Dumoulin, who finished second last year, is not there um, because he's injured. But the Dutch have been cheering on Mike Donison, who was the first Dutchman to wear the leader's yellow jersey for 30 years. Slight disappointment for him is that he rides for Yumbo, who already uh, dress in yellow. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because if you've uh, ever been to a Yumbo grocery store, you'll know that uh, it's all yellow. He had a bit more yellow to wear for about two days until Julien Alaphilippe attacked on the first hilly stage in Champagne country and uh, rested the yellow jersey off Tonison's back. And there's more bad news for Dumoulin as well, who's struggling to be fit for the third big tour race of the year, which is the Vuelta d'Espagne in August. That's after he badly hurt his knee in a fall in the first week of the Giro d'Italia. 
Yeah, that was the reason why. He was the hopeful for the Giro d'Italia, or the Dutch hopeful at least. And, well, uh, well, for Giro and the Tour until he hurt his knee. Uh, yeah, and, uh, and, and, and that also meant that he couldn't start at the uh, Tour de France, which started in Brussels for reasons that are very unclear. Well, it often starts in strange places like Rotterdam or Utrecht yes, uh, or, or London, or I think it started in Ireland a few, few years ago as well. Yeah. In news celebrated by dogs and cats across the country, the Dutch government is expected to stop the sale of the most dangerous fireworks starting from next year's New Year's Eve. The government announced the ban of fireworks in the most dangerous F3 category, such as, quote, Chinese rolls of multiple firecrackers, although the majority of fireworks on sale to consumers are in the lower F2 safety ban. This move is a bit of a disappointment to the Dutch Safety Board and to police who have called for more comprehensive bans. Uh, and why are they taking away this glorious Dutch tradition? Uh, because your people keep killing themselves with and fireworks. Taking each other's eyes yeah. out. People, Apparently, people running around on the streets with bombs. Yeah. And it, booze. And booze is a very bad it's idea. It's a bad idea. Yes. Who would have thought? I have no idea. Yeah. Last year, 400 people across the country needed hospital treatment for injuries caused by setting off fireworks themselves. The government has said that if that number does not fall this year, they're going to consider more restrictions. Yeah, I really hope that all fireworks would have been banned. Yeah. Because it's just... It's terrible. It's, it's, terrible. it's just chaos. Isn't it's it? chaos. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the night of New Year's Eve. A primary school's playground in Nijmegen has been ordered to close by the municipality because of noise complaints by the neighbors. The Boot Primary School was given until the end of the month to ban children from the playground or face a fine of 10,000 euro per day the playground was open. According to four local residents, the playing children were producing 88 decibels of noise, which exceeds a 70 decibel limit for residential areas. The playground is used by the primary school, but also by the after-school daycare. Parents and carers at the school started a petition protesting the closure and it has raised uh, 4,300 signatures already in the neighborhood. Janneke Koolsen, the head of the school, told the Volkskrant that the situation was contradictory, unjust and bizarre. That's pretty much some, mm. sums That up. sums everything up. Yeah. She said it's unfair for the children, especially because we are told that children must play outside more often. The playground was built 40 years ago, many years before the apartment building surrounding it. The forced closure caused major upheaval nationwide and also made international headlines. Yep. Yes, indeed. Uh, and after Dutch News reported on it, and uh, a few of the papers uh, <laughs> then just all lifted, of a sudden lifted it's the story. Turned up in the yeah. international press. Funny yeah. how that works. Yeah, but these these are just four uh, people. Yeah, four, four residents have basically shut down a, a school playground. Uh, who, and, uh, who are complaining? And these are probably baby boomers who are sitting all day in their in their house. <laughs> yeah, and, spending everyone's pensions. Spending everyone's yeah. pensions. Not not having a hobby because you know when when is playground used for school? It's yeah. used in the lunch break and after school because mm -hmm. it's a after school daycare. Yeah, and. Go do something else in that period of time. Yeah, I mean, walk the dog or something. You know, walk a dog of, yeah. or or read a book on the other side of your of, of your house. I just it's find just... it really fast. So we are, live quite close to like a high school next to us, and it can be, uh, it, the I mean, and these are teenagers, so it's I think it's a slightly different playground experience, but they can be quite loud, I think. And despite that, I mean, I work from home like all the time, and I'm very un perturbed by this i just find it very hard to believe that this noise level is as, as distracting as people yeah. are claiming well I've, I've seen photos of the playground it's really surrounded by apartment buildings which are like seven eight floors high and it's it's completely surrounded by so that. it so creates I, kind so of an echo chamber echo, so i yeah. i can understand that but if you buy this apartment you know that there is a school mm. there yeah. you know there's a playground so if you don't want 
no noise by playing children, then don't live there. Yeah. yeah. But luckily there is an update. Yes. Uh, on Thursday, it was reported that the municipality will organize a meeting with the complaining neighbors, aldermen and the school in order to find a solution to the problem. The legal procedures has been temporarily halted. So that means that they won't be fined after uh, okay. uh, after the end of July. Yeah. Um, and in the meantime, it will be made sure that the agreements made in the past will be actually applied. Yeah. For example, that the playground will only be used between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. And I, then I think... Okay, they made or, or already made agreements. Why did they come up with the idea to just yeah. you know keep keep the agreements uh, in yeah. place? I mean, yeah, that's, it's it's a also what school is using the playground at after eight p.m. at night? Yeah, I I, I don't know. Maybe they, no. I mean maybe it's like a public sort of spacey well, thing, the, and you the, can't keep play, other yeah. people out, which yeah, like is fair. But s- like school playgrounds are often left open um, outside of school yeah. hours so that people can just go in at the weekend and play there. But uh, it's yeah, it can well, be then, too hard. Okay, really how just hard to could say, it be to just lock it at night? Yeah, I could just tell, go go there at uh, eight o'clock at night and just uh, yeah to, just lock a gate or something. Yeah. It can't be too hard. And also uh, uh, this these protests um, uh, emerged uh, mm. at this uh, playground and yeah. they hold banners saying um, the lionesses started somewhere too. Mm. So that was uh, also an indication yeah. that the yeah. lionesses are yeah. yeah becoming increasingly more popular. I mean, I think it's not at all unfair to say that I do not like children at all, <laughs> um, and even I think this is completely ridiculous so you you're really in the wrong here people who complained about the noise five cities have submitted formal bids to stage next year's eurovision song contest in may the front runner is rotterdam mainly because the provincial government in south holland has promised it a million euros in funding if it wins maastricht arnhem den Bosch, and utrecht are also in the running Though Utrecht delivered its bid by cycle courier, and the mayor has said he's going, not going to give the organisers any money, so it's, they'll probably hold it in a bus shelter or something. <laughs> no, 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 they had actually plans. Uh, <laughs> you know, they have the Yarbrough complex, yes, mm, yeah. but, but the ceiling is too low for the yeah. event, mm-hmm. because they have specific requirements for that. So the municipality said, oh, then we just build a tent next to the Yarbrough, <laughs> and then we will hold it there. Yeah. That was basically their plan. Yeah. It's a real low-budget Eurovision. It's a very low-budget yeah. Eurovision, yeah. and they also don't want to um, uh, uh, arrange transportation, so like like buses yeah. for all the delegations, they they basically said just take the tram, yeah, or yeah. get by bike. So yeah, yeah. I don't I, think Utrecht will. I uh, don't think it's got a serious. Uh, I kind of love it though. Like yeah. I just yeah. love this sort of like yeah, we'll build a tent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very sort of pragmatic, low key mm. sort of. Uh, it would be a very Dutch Eurovision experience, wouldn't it? Yeah, <laughs> everyone would pack their own sandwiches. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> I think that that would be delightful. <laughs> this is what the all of Europe should have to come and be subjected yeah. to. It's like cycling in the rain. Like all the there should just be all these like contestants like who are at the Ove feet stall and like can't like adjust the seat on their bikes because yeah. they don't know how to do it. Like how great would the video footage be? Superb. All the bid books were handed over at a ceremony at public broadcaster MPO's offices in Hilversum. MPO executives will now decide which of the cities are worth a visit before they choose the winner in August. So why isn't Amsterdam on the list? Yeah, this was the big question, but Amsterdam has ruled itself out because, according to Mayor Femke Halsema, there isn't a suitable venue free for the eight-week window around Eurovision that they need mm. to, to hold it. Uh, the Zigodome, Rai Amsterdam and Johan Cruyff Arena all have events booked that they can't cancel, and the Afas Live Music Room is apparently too small. Uh, and I think there's also a general sense that it'd be a bit perverse to stage Eurovision in Amsterdam, just as they're saying that they've got too many tourists. We'll be assessing the coalition's survival chances after this word from our sponsors.
Hey you, you listening to the podcast for free. We're really glad you all like our OPEF coverage and dick lawyer jokes, but it costs money to bring them to your ears. If you have a few extra bucks and you would like to support the work we do, you can now back us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl to donate. We will give a shout out to all our backers on the podcast. If you donate 50 euros, Gordon will dedicate the next podcast to his love of lavender strobe waffles. For 75 euros, Molly will watch one entire football match. And for the low, low, low amounts of 100 euros, I will vote for the Socialist Party in the next election. So please go to patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl to support us and keep Truby fed, which is very important. As Mark Rutte's third cabinet passed the halfway point of its term, the coalition is looking to the outside to be as solid as the Afslaut Dijk. That's a surprise to many people who predicted that the four-party combination with a one-seat majority would be brittle and unwieldy. But with a few exceptions, the government has been adept at handling hot potatoes such as amnesties for child refugees, the pensions deal and the environmental reforms. Not to mention the rise of new challenges, such as Thierry Baudet's Forum for Democratie in the provincial elections. We thought we'd take the pulse of the cabinet and ask how likely it is to see out its full term. My sort of uh, stepping point for this was that there was an interview with uh, Thierry Baudet on uh, Newsier uh, last week where he was predicting that the cabinet would fall within six months to a year. And I suddenly sort of thought, I haven't heard anyone say that for about three months. But no. at the turn of the year, everyone was saying it. Everyone yeah. sort of was convinced that the, the, the government was about to fall. So okay. what's happened? Okay, let, let's start. Do we think the government will fall within... No. Now and the end of that term? No. no? No, I don't. No. I don't think so as well. No. Okay, well, no. let's pack it in and go home. <laughs> okay, We're done here. This was a great discussion. <laughs> Patreon. Enjoy your um, summer vacation. Yeah. But yeah, you, what you say, Gordon, at the beginning of the year in January, uh, we had all these sort of scandals, we had all these problems, we had the dividend tax, we yeah. had the climate agreement, uh, or, or at least Dijkhoff calling uh, yet the names in, in the newspaper. Yeah. Um, we Brilliant. had the Warwick. energy bill. Yeah, the cabinet basically yeah. looked like they lost control over everything. Yeah, it looked like every issue was uh, becoming uh, a potential pitfall, and yes. a potential breaking point. And of course, you know, the Kinderpadon involved the second biggest party in the coalition, the CDR, actually changing course. Right. Yeah. They, they, they've been quite anti-migration and closed the borders and all the rest of it, being quite populist on the issue. And all of a sudden, there was a bit of a sort of mini-revolt among the sort of more conservative, compassionate Christians in the party who said to Sibam Buma, no, we want to uh, allow well-established, uh, uh, well-rooted uh, child uh, migrants to be able to stay here. What and I he think, had to change his, his policy. And what I think this change of minds of the CDR yeah. is the thing that saved the cabinet. Yeah. Because at that point, only the VVD was opposed to the Kinderpardon and the VVD could have easily let the let the coalition collapse over this because they just fundamentally disagreed with the whole notion. Mm. But they also realized if we let the cabinet fall now, then there is still a majority for the Kinderpardon in Parliament. Yeah. So if we let the cabinet fall, then the thing that we let it fall over yeah. will still it's happen. Gonna anyway. so, it's going to pass anyway. It's going to pass anyway. So it would be a kind of double loss, basically. It would be a double they loss. They would lose power and they would still have to uh, enact the Kinderpardon. At the same yeah. time, yeah. you have the Forum for Democracy in their back, basically, mm. with yeah. the hot breath in their, in their back. So they basically thought, okay, let's just swallow this Kinderpardon and go through with it, yeah. and then yeah. maybe we can arrange something else that we want in the future. Yeah. And that is the reason why the cabinet... Kind of survived. Kind yeah. of survived and could continue. Yeah, uh, and it's kind of interesting that the the FAD and the PFFA didn't manage to make big capital out of that either. They didn't see their poll rating suddenly go shooting up because there was uh, you know a pro-migration policy. It's because it's no matter how much you hate immigrants, they went on... what. TV show was it? The World Through the Door? Yeah, yeah, Lillian yeah. Hook. They went on whatever. 
They speak impeccable Dutch. They look like lovely children. It does not matter how much you hate migrants. It's really hard to hate a couple of kids who mm. are clearly well integrated. So there's just, I don't think that there was any political points to be won by opposing their integration and then and allowing the, the, those two kids to stay. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think the, the migration issue tends to be more, uh, have more currency and have more political impact when people feel there's a migration crisis on yeah. the doorstep. And that has died away in the last yeah. few years. Well, and also, you know, I mean, I think it does not hurt the fact that the, the the case for the kinder part on that these two kids are white and not Muslim. Yes. So, you know, you sort of have put forward the kind of most ideal faces, the most palatable faces for this thing. And so, yeah, I mean, I think even the most staunch sort of pay they you know, Forum for Democracy voters have a really hard time saying, yeah, but we shouldn't let these kids stay. I mean, I just don't think there was political points to be won on this thing. So I think the baby day was smart. They said, well, we're going to lose this argument anyway. So let's just let it go and let the coalition stand. And here we are. So the cabinet didn't collapse over the uh, migration kinderpadon issue as people, some people expected. They also didn't um, fall after a bit of a wobble over the climate deal as well and the energy crisis. So but I think well, this is also because the baby day was just like, oh, we're going to move to the left on this. Yeah. Uh, like, but only after a little bit of resistance first because Klaus Dijkhoff was quite firm initially he gave an interview in the Telegraph back in January where he said that he would rather see the cabinet fall than uh, betray the ordinary Dutch person over the energy uh, uh, agreement that was uh, being drafted at that point yeah and then he called Rob Yetta he called Rob Yetta climate drama yeah there's a bit of a playground spat between them yeah, yeah. And but how do they resolve the spat how do they resolve it yeah. as evidence of why Dutch political scandals are the most boring scandals <laughs> How did this spat get resolved? Well, according to Rob Jetter, who was on News yeah. last Friday, yeah. he said, yeah, I, I read it in a newspaper. It was on a Saturday and I just called Dijkhoff <laughs> and we talked over it and... Yeah. Yeah. It was all, yeah. Everything was fine. And everything was fine. It was a rubbish yeah. scandal, wasn't it? You know, in any other country, that would have been a major cabinet split and yeah. ministers wouldn't have talked to each other for like six months or something. But what I think <laughs> uh, Dijkhoff told Rob Jetter was, this is just early campaign rhetoric yeah. mm -hmm. we see that the form for democracy is climbing in the yeah. polls this is of course um, also just before we were having the provincial elections before yeah. so, the provincial yeah. elections we see that the form for democracy is climbing in the polls we want to uh, make sure that the people who are opposing this climate deal will go over to the form for democracy we want to prevent that yeah. so I'm just saying this in order to attract <laughs> but I think that's basically <laughs> what he said so on too. the phone and Rob Jette was like that makes sense. And yeah. then he hung yeah. up and they moved on. I yeah. think I think that's just what happened. Yeah, and they moved on and they did the climate deal. Which announced yeah, because after the provincial elections, we, we had the climate deal as it was announced uh, last year. And Klaas Dijkhoff all of a sudden isn't opposing uh, yeah. it anymore. Yeah, but, but there were a few concessions in there, weren't there? For, um, there was an acknowledgement that the high rise in energy bills was something that people didn't like because they, they, they've now offered a 100 euro rebate. Yeah, so. well, I mean, I think the outcome of the provincial elections is another reason that we're not going to see this yeah. cabinet fall, right? Like in the lead up to the provincial elections, it was like, this is going to be catastrophic. The coalition is not going to have a majority. What are they going to do? Blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And like, how did this all play out? Yeah, and in the end, it, it worked out absolutely fine. And again, it was another case of FAD. They won the provincial election. They became yeah. the biggest party. And yet, actually, they weren't able to make big political capital out of it because the way the, the seats fell in the Senate, we, we sort of assumed beforehand that the coalition would need the support of FAD or some kind of very complicated configuration. Yeah. As the seats worked out, actually, they only need one opposition party to get the legislation through. And a lot of the legislation is quite palatable to either the Labour Party, PFDR, yeah. or to uh, Hun Links. Right. Yeah, and so really all that happened was the coalition shifted shifted slightly towards those two parties yeah. and that was enough to cover them. And as we were discussing beforehand, I mean, Ruta is not a sort of egotistical person who feels yeah. like he always has 
to have his own way and that he wants to hold this coalition together. And if the way that you do that is to shift a few things to the left, he seems perfectly willing and capable of doing that. Yeah. And I think the baby day seems kind of behind him as a party on this. I mean, yeah. I also think that the discussion around climate change has also like shifted that now we're seeing these protests from kids all over the world saying, you guys are not paying attention to this. We're experiencing a bunch more kind of extreme weather conditions. And I think people, even right-leaning business liberal parties are saying like, we really have to do something about this or we're not going to have a country in a couple hundred years. And that's really like terrifying. So Mm. I think that, you know, the discussion has shifted that it's become kind of more sort of part of politics, that this is a thing that we have to deal with and not a thing that you can kind of like continue continue to kick down the road and the baby day has sort of stepped up and said okay like we're gonna we're gonna work on some of this stuff and another thing that the baby day did very smartly was in the uh, provincial elections campaign um they basically started a negative campaign against the form for democracy or yeah. at least they really Just focused their campaign on opposing the form for democracy yeah. so whenever jerry Baudet said something they came out with fit little videos on social media really Dijkhoff or Mark Rutte responding to what yeah. Thierry Baudet yeah, said. Yeah, d- directly going in on what uh, yeah. Baudet was claiming. Yeah, not, that's a real contrast with uh, the way they treated Gert Wilders in the past, where they just let, let Wilders say these things. And um, Rutte said his famous thing about uh, he wasn't going to jump on every uh, stuck old place, that, exactly. uh, every bit of red meat that uh, Wilders threw into the arena. And with Baudet, they took completely the opposite tack. Every time Baudet came up with some kind of nonsense conspiracy theory, which was every five minutes, <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they jumped on it and they yeah. produced the facts that... Um, and that was really a change in their campaign tactics and their yeah. campaign strategy. And what and it became stronger in the Euro elections as well, yeah. didn't it? I mean, Rutte deliberately you know, made this big announcement at a school where he challenged Baudet on, on camera to go into a TV debate and really took the fight to him. Yeah, and yeah. what they successfully did was they pushed Forum for Democracy towards the pay for fay They basically said the Forum for Democracy is an alternative to the pay for fay and not to the fay day. And by doing that, they really made sure that the people who voted for for, for democracy had voted for the PVV in the past. And when you look at the results, that, that is, that's exactly what happened. Mm. All the seats that the PVV lost, they went to Forum for Democracy. So they managed to frame them successfully yeah. as an alternative to the PVV instead of an alternative for yeah. the PVV. So, so do you think the PVV have learned the lesson here that you don't uh, fight these extreme right parties by kind of mimicking them or adopting their policies? You just that... stole my point. That's exactly <laughs> the point that uh, I was well, going to make. You would think that, but... Thank you for mansplaining my point to me. But if you look last week, what they came up with with the migrants in the Mediterranean Sea, that that seems like a pay-for-fay copycat, right? So Yeah, although that... At some points they do, some points they they really shift towards the center, but uh, in terms of this immigration, they haven't done that yet. I have to say the the Sea-Watch thing struck me as just a little more like, less like party line and more like couple of people in the Navy Day who sort of think this way and then it got shut down very quickly, right? I mean, like you said, they had the votes for it. They could have pushed through with this Mm. and they chose not to. I mean, I think that that's an indication that the Navy Day has sort of learned this lesson that I wish other center right parties in other countries would learn, which is is that you let the crazies go play off to the side and ignore them and let the adults in the room do the hard work of government. And that's fine. People are going to keep voting for them, whatever, who cares? Ignore them. Let's like work together and, and do proper government work. So hopefully that was just an aftershock of that former mm. strategy. But profiling yourself as a party that's taking responsibility yeah. and doing mm. the job and let the other kids play yeah. mm. uh, not too loudly. Otherwise they will be fined. Yes, of course. Um, yeah, that's the, that's the image that the coalition parties right now are trying to send out. Yeah. They, they are really trying to 
profile themselves as these parties that are taking responsibility. They realize that in the system that we have right now, you can't have your way all the time. So they're they're trying to send that image out as a responsible responsible party, basically. Yeah, and I think that um, underlines that one of the strengths of this coalition is there's a very strong discipline between the two, between all the parties. Yeah. And uh, Kate young Sagas, I think, repeatedly made the point um, when they discussed it on Newsweek that uh, this was, he felt this kind of the last chance for the centre parties to show they can get things done. And, and the yeah, way they get exactly. they, they retain the support is actually just by doing things, by getting the pension deal done, by getting the environment deal done. And he said, you know, for as long as they actually um, deliver results, uh, people continue to back them. And yeah, I think and, that's and been there were many now. results because, yeah. I mean, this... this Suspension uh, accord. That's a huge that's thing. It's been yeah. going for ten years. For, yeah, for, for nine, that. ten years. Yeah. yeah, and this climate deal as well. I mean, yeah. these are all very big, big achievements they reached, and that's just the contrast between the cabinet as we looked at it in January and now. I mean, it's it's enormous. In January, this didn't seem to accomplish anything. Yeah, and the only thing they that's why the pension talks have broken was, down, hadn't they? And yeah. there's a row over yeah. the climate deal, and every all all, all it to be kind of running aground. And and what some people say is that this is thanks to PVDA, to Labour. Yeah. Because uh, it all started to go upwards for the cabinet when the pension deal was made, basically. Mm. And who was responsible for putting the pension uh, negotiations back into into place. That was PVDA. It was the PVDA who went to Colmes and they said, "Yeah, we, we we look at this pension system. We need reform. Let's restart the negotiations." Yeah. And, and it was on their initiative that they restarted and they reached an agreement. Yeah, that's kind of interesting as well. Cause I think one story that I think hasn't been really explored a lot is the way that in the last sort of couple of years the Socialist Party have just fallen away. The yeah. Support just has collapsed for them. Yeah. And even within the pension talks, there was a more so smaller internal conflict within the the main union, the FNF, between the SP and the PFDR and the PFDR won that fight pretty decisively yeah. by being the pragmatic party and the party that wants to get things done and work with the government. The trend recently has been the parties on the flanks which is whether it's Wilders on the right or the socialists on the left have lost influence and they, they don't seem to have that kind of stranglehold on public opinion that they had uh, for, you know, for several years. And it's a really <laughs> amazing yeah. uh, attitude of the of the Labour Party because yeah. if you look at how many seats yeah. they lost in the last elections yeah. in the Tweede Kamer, yeah they are completely blown away Uh, they have eight seats now nine seats nine seats nine seats so in every other normal party (laughs) would say uh, okay we have nine seats now we're going to we're taking our ball and going home yes crisis we need to rebrand ourselves we need to uh, come up with new ideas you need to go back to the base we need to go you know what's happening in the British Labour parties or go off to the hard left and they didn't do that at all no and what did what did they do they went to the coalition they said hey we see that you could use our help yeah here we are. Yeah. Even though, you know, Lodewijk Asje was the mm-hmm. vice prime minister yeah. in the former cabinet. <laughs> yes. And he is now basically saving the new cabinet yeah. with Mark Rutte. Yeah. But I think that that goes to show the fact that Rutte has done a good job developing a lot of personal relationships over the years. That Asher is is willing to come back and try to do this, even though it's maybe not what you would think a losing party would do necessarily. But I think they they like to work together. They want to get stuff done. And at the end of the day, like I think most of them, they care about the future of this country and they are more interested in making moves that improve the future of the pension system than they are in scoring political points. I, I yeah. think so as well. I think the PVDA is just like the CDA, they they are ruling parties, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. They are used to being in a cabinet and then next election round they lost and then the next one they will, they will, yeah, they they will win yeah. again, they come back. 
And that attitude is still within the heart of the yeah. PvdA, yeah. even though they lost five, six, seven limbs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, only the head yeah. is left, basically. Yeah, the head and the heart are the still, the heart are still there. Governor. But they want to take responsibility. They are an adult yeah. party and yeah. they take responsibility. Yeah. And I also think that there's no real incentive for any of the members of the coalition to walk away right now like no. we, we talked a little bit about this mm. before we started recording but like christian uni kind of doesn't care whether or not they remain in the coalition definitely probably would not be in another round of coalition talks yeah. so doesn't really benefit them uh, say they are maybe but as gordon you had pointed out earlier they're having some internal like the leadership well, they need to choose a new leader, yeah, they, need so, to choose so, a new leader. Yeah, they don't want to be jumped by an election before they've done that right yeah. so they don't it's not clear like who would step it up if they if that yeah. person became prime minister Dace assessed would for sure lose if there was another you know they they only kind of squeaked into this coalition agreement mm-hmm. you know they probably you know i think that they could foresee a future where they would not be in a coalition mm-hmm. the vvd also only really stands to lose and if the government falls apart and the vvd comes back into the cabinet then somebody besides Rota has to yeah. be prime minister and i don't think anyone wants that job i think keeping together a four party or more god forbid coalition mm-hmm. in a parliament with 13 parties <laughs> in it seems like a garbage nightmare job that nobody <laughs> wants. And so I think that like they just they just really want to hold it together because the other yeah. options are also not great. But yeah. there were a lot of there were two people who wanted to be prime yes. minister. Yes. These people are Alexander Pechtold of D66 and Sibon Buma of the CDA. They were longtime leaders of these parties mm-hmm. in the Tweede Kamer yeah. and they uh, they were kind of the architects of this coalition yes. deal as well, weren't they? Together with, with, with Gertjan, Sears and Rutte. Yeah. And the cabinet was one year, one and a half year in and they left. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Why so, is that? Uh, I think they realised that they, they weren't going to replace uh, Rutte as uh, prime minister, basically. I heard on the, uh, the uh, NSA uh, podcast this week that there have been whisperings for some time that uh, Buma was going to step down yeah. as leader of the CDR at some time. It's just a question of getting the right job for him. And then, of course, Mayor of Leovarden became available. Which is the perfect job for him. Which is exactly the job that he wanted. Turf. So yeah. he basically yeah. just got dumped in his lap, the, yeah. the ideal position for what he wanted. Exactly. And Pechtold just, I think he was, sort of, he'd been leader for 10 years and he decided that he could see that he'd reached a high point at the last election, basically. Yeah, so go out on a high now. Go out on a high, yeah. And also he, he'd been involved in a few personal scandals and I think uh, yeah, he, he, well, he didn't have great personal popularity did he I think it's fair not to say not anymore no he, yes. was, he really um, wanted to spend time in his tiny tiny apartment in Skabenik <laughs> <laughs> yes. with his mistress with his yeah. mistress yeah. with his yeah. mistress yeah. Yeah. Um, for whom he kept all the bonnetches so yeah. <laughs> learned his lesson yeah but it was always rumoured and I think basically everybody thought that Mark Rutte was going to Brussels yeah. yes that was the other thing yeah, for the whole for about, about two years I think pundits were constantly saying that he was being lined up for one of the top European jobs and of course, in the last couple of weeks, uh, they had all the negotiations about the jobs, and Rutter's name just did not come up. No, it wasn't in the frame at all. at all, was he? No, no. And no, it's and not th- because he isn't a qualified person. No, no he's he very well qualified. Want to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he didn't want to do it. Yeah. Uh, my theory is, is that he recently had a great first date on Tinder, and now he doesn't <laughs> want to leave the Hague. Um, yeah. Or, or, or he's, he's on the next series of Love Island. Yeah, <laughs> that's also yeah. possible. He really wants to be one of the hosts for Eurovision. So. Yeah. But yeah, yeah but Rutter clearly, as, as, as Paul says, wasn't interested in the job. He kept saying he wasn't. And if he'd wanted a job in Brussels, he knows he which he has, he knows which he has to whisper in, definitely. So, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think that there's no... The parties don't have any incentive to make this coalition fall. There's no yeah. personalities sitting around going, like, we really want to be the party 
leader that we want to be the next prime minister. So I think everybody's incentive is to just keep this together. Yeah, but looking forward, I mean, Rutte is he's on a third term. He said he was given really strong hints that he doesn't want to. Do uh, this is his round. last term. Yeah. So yeah, his, his, the fact his departure is coming up. How might that affect the next twenty-one months the coalition's got left? Well, I think it gives uh, the state AR a lot of incentive to to put forth a really good leader yeah. and like get their lives together there. Yeah, because the, the two contenders are Vopka Hoekstra, the finance minister, and uh, Hugo de Jonge, yeah. um, who are both seen as the quite heavyweight politicians. The man with the excellent shoes. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and then I hope Vopka Hoekstra will be their leader. Yeah. I, I don't like Hugo de Jonge. <laughs> You're just awful. mad because he's more stylish than you are. That's Paul. that's yeah. true. Yeah. That's going to be a challenge, I think, for the Fefe Day. If uh, CDA has a strong leader, the Fefe Day suddenly, who've taken it for granted for the last decade that they will always be the largest yeah. party, I think we'll have a real fight on their hands in the next election. Yeah, and now I come to think of it, when Alexander Pechtold, Buma, and Rutte became leader of their parties, there were a lot of internal fightings yeah. in their yeah. parties. I mean, we're talking about 10, 11, 12 years ago, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. When they became leader, nobody thought this is going to end well. The party was in shatters, yeah. Uh, yeah. deep divisions within the party, but they all managed to... They managed to smooth over the... Work it the, out. The yeah, and repair yeah. their parties. Yeah. And uh, I mean, Mark Rutte now... I mean, he was elected as a party leader with uh, only a few votes difference. Yeah. Yeah. In the next election, he was... Over Rita Verdonk, with Rita I mean, who Verdonk. everyone's forgotten about. But, yeah, Everybody forgotten about him. But in the next <laughs> elections, Rita yeah. Verdonk, who was <laughs> number two on the list, got more votes than Mark Rutte, yeah. who was number one. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody thought, this is madness. This, yeah. will, not this will not last. work out at all and now he is a three-term prime minister and if you then look at how we thought the cabinet was going to do in january and yeah. how they're looking now i mean uh, it's uh, hard to make predictions it's hard to it make is predictions. It's the, like sort of yeah. black swan thing yeah. right that, yeah. like, you it just... shows how quickly things move in politics yeah. because we, when i picked this as a uh, subject for discussion I was, I was thinking i can't remember the, the last time that anyone seriously thought the coalition was going to collapse but actually it's quite recent yeah, yeah. i mean i think <laughs> parties would be smart to get a female leader because then I think that there becomes more of an argument for putting that person forward as prime minister so you know I think that you could yeah. see maybe like some of that happening yeah it's just Cora van Nieuwenhuis yeah. of the VVD who uh, she's put herself forward she's hasn't she yeah. forward yeah. and who I think successful. has done pretty good of a job so you know yeah. so far I mean yeah, that's interesting as well people assume that Dijkhoff is going to succeed with Ritter but do we think that's uh, that's a shoe in I, th- I and think he talks too much I don't see him as a prime minister no, no. me neither no, no. No, no. I, I think he is an uh, excellent Tweede Kamer leader. But yeah. now I now come to think of it, who would I, who could I see as a prime minister? Uh, Cora van Nieuwenhuizen. I don't know enough about her to mm-hmm. be honest. No, but do you think there might be a I mean, comeback? Ferdinand by... Kropperhaus, I think clearly is the <laughs> yeah. podcast. The first host, the first I would love to see him as prime minister. Yeah, just, I mean, just come seeing on, the how bond villain. <laughs> do you think there's any chance of Janina Hennis coming mm, back? I was gonna, that was actually going to be uh, one of my other suggestions. Oh yeah, that could be. Yeah, I always liked her as a defense politician, defense minister, yeah. And uh, also in the European Parliament, she also did great work. Um, And who is the, um, uh, who is the day Sessestag woman that went to uh, Amsterdam? Alonchem. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, she is also named as a potential successor for Robieta. I think I could Mm. see that. I mean, Robieta seems a little young to be prime minister. I mean, I think he just needs to wait 10 more years, basically. I mean, I I think he has, certainly has potential, but I don't think he's there yet. And I think he seems to to know that I don't see him like setting himself up for kind no, of the next so. the next no. slot. Yeah, um, and I don't know if if a day and zest of prime minister is really realistic either. No. <laughs> they're likely to lose votes in the next election. Yeah. I would think for sure. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Me, I mean maybe I don't know. The the pension reform plays out well, and Labour's 
um, swings back and and what about Lodewijk Osher? Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say, oh, and yeah. then we and then we see somebody coming in from the Pivot AR, which I think Timmermans. seems somewhat <laughs> Timmermans. Timmermans, yeah, yeah. hipster <laughs> Santa Claus for Prime Minister. Yeah, yeah. He's had a trim, hasn't he? Yeah, since, I know. He's, since he's he lost, not, the... he's not a Santa Claus yeah. anymore. It's, yeah. it's very disappointing. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but that, that was a big surprise result, wasn't it? The, the Pivot AR coming out top in the European elections. Yeah. So who yeah. knows? Maybe they are on the comeback track. Yeah, I mean, I think you could see that coming back. Yeah. yeah. So that's all we have for you this week, and indeed until after the summer break. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We'll include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can now also back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. You'll earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. You can ask us a question and you'll get to listen to the special bonus episode we're recording next week. Yes, and it's very exciting. It's very exciting. Episode. You can hear Molly cry. There is, I think there's a reasonable good chance that there are I think there's a, yeah, a good 65% chance, mm. I think, on our, on our uh, Howl and Rada. Yeah. <laughs> I would agree with that. <laughs> I agree with that as well. <laughs> My thanks to Paul Peters and Molly Quell. I'm Gordon Darroch. Enjoy your summer. We'll be back in September. Yes. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>